Well, last week we started a series and we're talking about our future self. Y'all think, y'all ever think about your future self? We're talking about our future self and a future self uh, that would look back one day, what kind of values do we need to put into our lives, put into place now so that our future self will be able uh, to thank us. We're, it's just a roundabout way to talk about regret and living with fewer uh, regrets. Last week we talked about devotion. Our key word today is foundation and next week it's going to be compassion. But we looked at a, a group of people that were devoted to the apostles teaching, the breaking of bread, to prayer and fellowship. They were devoted to it. They didn't dabble in it. They, it was a passion of theirs. And we talked about ways to do that. And even with the teaching specifically, we camped out there and talked about uh, there are five ways to get intake of Scripture, to hear, hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating. And memorizing, now, if you're joining us, I know, I know, I know, memorizing is very different than study. So uh, I, we have to keep that in mind. You know, like some of you are like, oh, t- take a verse out of context. You know, I understand that. It's just one verse, and one verse is always a part of a sentence that's a part of a paragraph that's a part of a chapter that's in a book that has history, culture, and context. I get that. But remember, we're just memorizing verses. We're doing what the Scripture says, hiding it in our heart. And did any of you memorize our first verse? So I'm inviting you to do this for the next 52 weeks and at the end of it it'll go by fast y'all know that and in 52 weeks you'll have 52 verses and they're all uh, pretty cool I'm very biased but the first one was uh, Psalm 100 and verse 5 I did it the early service I didn't I hadn't practiced since uh, Thursday so Crawford you're my cue card if I mess it up y'all say it with me if you memorize our first verse Psalm 100 and verse 5 for the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever his faithfulness to all generations. I didn't need you. I got it. That would have been bad if I would have not known the verse. Laura, would you have bailed me out somehow? Still love me? Okay. So join with us in that. Hey, today I'm going to look at, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and a few verses here. Uh, turn in your Bibles. If you have them, we're going to put it on the screen. I'm, I made the comment in 930. I love some of you are like playing tennis. You're like, turn in the Bible or look on the screen. You don't know what to do. And uh, you, you better turn in your Bible because I could slip something on the screen that's not in there. Like, you know, come up front and drink the red Kool-Aid or something. And you wouldn't know. First Corinthians chapter 3, have I given you enough time? Here we go, here we go. I love Paul because I'm nowhere near Paul in brilliance, but I, I switch metaphors a lot. Like, you can, I'll be talking to you and then all of a sudden I change. You're like, you can't do that. And I'm like, yes, I can. So he does that here. We are, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Here's what, look at him. You're the field. God's building. Okay, two, two metaphors. We're going to go with the second one. That's where he's going. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? All right, let's let's look at this. Let's look at it. So we're, we're, we're talking about being builders of a house. There's a modern parable I want to share with you today, a modern parable about a carpenter, a carpenter that was a master carpenter and he had a primary boss and he built houses year after year, decade after decade. He was getting older and he was looking at retirement and he thought, hey, I'm, I'm really tired. Maybe it's my time to retire. And he went to his boss and the boss said, hey, 
you know, let's look at our contract. Let's look at what you have, what you need here. And I got, I got a plan here. I got one more house and it will be a grand home and I want you to build it. I want to enlist you as the builder and then you retire. You go out in a blaze of glory. You, you do this. And so the, he was reluctant, but he did it. He agreed. He felt like he needed it and he was going to use that money with his retirement to build a little cottage somewhere. He starts to build, but his heart wasn't in it. He built, but he cut corners. It got sloppy. He used plastic pipes instead of copper. The walls weren't all plumb. Felt bored instead of real good wood. And he just cut corners. He did it with resentment. He did it grudgingly, joylessly, with a lack of integrity. He he was dishonest in his building. And it gets to the end, it was a many month project and it gets to the end of the home and the boss comes to him and thanks him and he gives him a handshake and thanks him for the decades of love and labor. He, in the, he hands him an envelope and inside the envelope, the master carpenter opens it and inside the envelope, it is a deed to the house. He didn't realize it, but he was building his own house. But then he got really sad. He thought about how his heart wasn't in it, how he cut corners and got sloppy and did it with resentment and he was careless. And the very, he didn't know it, but the very house he was building was the house that he would live out his days in. You and I are building a house. Look at me, Dad. Y'all still awake? You're building a house. You're building a house and I'm building a house with every commitment I make, every friendship that I enter every gift or skill that I cultivate or neglect, every promise that I keep or break is a part of the house that I'm building. You are building a house with the words that you say, with the connections that you make, with the values that you live out, with the words that you speak to others, with the voices that you hear, maybe most importantly with the thoughts that fill your mind. You are building a house. Let me stop and ask you, How are you doing? How's the house that you're building? I want to say this just more pastorally. I'm going to move away, keeping this text, 1 Corinthians 3 in the background. Move away a little bit and just speak pastorally because um, we all live in this world. And Jesus taught this. In Matthew 7, uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about two home builders. And one's building on the rock and one's building on the sand. Y'all know this. And storms come to both. And I love that. It's part of the genius of Jesus. He teaches and he never gets away. It's never unclear that he doesn't promise you a certain outcome or certain lifestyle. Not at all. He promises you salvation and life and grace and forgiveness and eternity. But he doesn't promise you the things that you want. Or he doesn't promise you the American dream as we would call it. And he says the storms come. In fact, if you structure your life for storm avoidance, you'll be severely disappointed. Because it's, it's not about storms coming to both houses. It's a matter of how you built your house. But here's the thing. Jesus wants you to build your house. And, and honestly, um, you should want that for you. And here's what I find. My experience as pastor, friend, parent, whatever, and my own stuff inside of me, my own bundle of insecurities and issues and stuff that I have to walk through and get around, we want to build someone else's house. Or we want to someone to unduly affect the house that God's called us to build. So let me just for a moment uh, take a look at the screen here. Uh, These are signs that I am failing to take responsibility for my own house. And let this minister to somebody today. I find myself looking for other people's approval to validate my choices. I can't decide 
I need clarity on what is right or good. I waver and hesitate. I am anxious. A little criticism from the wrong source leaves me feeling defeated. I lack integrity. Instead of freely saying what I believe, I calculate and adjust my words to fit more closely with what I think the other person wants to hear. That's deception, by the way, and that's no way to live. God's called you to build a house. Build the house that God has called you to build. I'll just let that sit for a second. Now back to the passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a couple of words or phrases that I want to point out to give clarity to, and this is important to do uh, theologically. My job uh, in part is to preach the Bible, so let me do that. In this passage, uh, Paul talks about fire. In the image of fire, what does that mean in the Bible? The image of fire is replete throughout, but the image of fire is God's judgment. Part of it is God's judgment. God is a just judge. God is a judge. I know we like to lean on God's Father, God's light and love and all that, but God is also a judge. The reason we probably don't like that is we don't judge fairly ourselves. We judge a book by its cover. We falsely judge someone based on how they look or what we think or what an outcome is going to be. We know corruption. I mean, over and over in the scriptures, um, I might fail, but we'll be okay. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But the scripture is full of folks who um, didn't get it right. There's talk, there's talk about justice and injustice, and this is not a modern concept. Some of you get really nervous about social justice. Look, it's biblical justice, and God really cares. He always cares about those who are being left out. He really cares that corruption takes place, and to follow Jesus is to follow the fight and to be involved in generous justice as he would want us to be. But we don't like judgment because, well, we've seen bad judgers, and we've been judged. But God is a just judge, and the image of fire is not just judgment, God's judgment, God's final judgment, but the image there is, it, think about this reality that it's, um, it is a, it's a persistent and perceptive and discerning ability that God has to see what's right and what's not, what's good and what's bad, and he alone ultimately can see that. And so there is this fire. And in this scripture in particular, the, the, another image in addition to and complementary with is that not only is it judgment, but it's, it's refinement. Fire refines. When you go through a fire, scripture says many times over, Old and New Testaments, it's in here, the fire refines. And they, were, they had more vocational trades back then. And there were metal workers and coppersmiths and people like that. So it's much more familiar language uh, to them. But things go through a fire. And what happens in the ore? In the ore, the, the, when the heat goes up, it's the impurities. The crud gets removed and only what's pure remains. Hey, you know what? There's coming a day when only what's pure will remain. I hope I got that in me because a lot of stuff's going to be, it's going to be cut out of my life. And it needs to be, but only what's pure. The psalmist would pray a long time uh, before Corinthians. Hey, Lord, who may ascend to the, to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in your holy presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so there's a fire. And don't run from it. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah, it can be painful. But man, I want God to have his complete work in my life. I want God to have his complete work in our church. And I want things that ought not to be here to be removed. We need that. And it can be... It can be a great source 
of a joy in your life. So that's the image of fire. Now the second image to point out from the text of 1 Corinthians 3 is the day. It talks about the day. How many of y'all have ever had a big day? Like you've looked forward to a day either with excitement or nerves. I mean, if you're, um, if you're married or you've had, you're a parent or you've graduated or had a big ceremony, Nick did a, a really awesome wedding here uh, last night with Shane and Karen. And they, I'm sure they were talking about the day, the day, the day. But there's a day coming that's above every other day. And no matter what kind of big day you've had, you know, we all probably have a few but there's no day like this day, and it's the day of judgment. It's the day of Christ's return. You can read about it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2, 2. Let me put two scriptures up and then draw a point of important distinction. Second uh, Corinthians or Romans 14, 10. So you then, why do you judge a brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Come on. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So here's what the Bible teaches. Take it or leave it, love it or loathe it. Let it be a point of joy or a point of fear. But scripture teaches us and that there is a judgment for salvation. This is not in reference to salvation. We'll talk about the foundation in a minute. I'm gonna ask you in a minute a couple of questions. I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm still in my own thunder. But one of them is, what's the foundation of your life? But the foundation, if the foundation is Jesus, then the judgment is about rewards. It, it, it's about what you've done. It's about the type of person that you're becoming. Now we think, because we live this way, if I have accomplishments and success, you'll love me. And that's what you want. You want me to be successful. If you know me and I know you, I want you to be successful. And if you're parenting a child, the children think that all you want from them is accomplishments and success. But can I tell you, God's different. God doesn't care about your accomplishments because they're not really impressive to him. And you know what he cares about? The person that you're becoming. So when I ask you what kind of house you're building today, I'm asking you what's your character like? What's your soul like? Who is the person that you're becoming? Because that is most impressive to God and there'll be a judgment and here's the thing about judgment the scripture teaches this it's going to be high definition God's light is a penetrating light it is a discerning light and you know we fool each other we hide things some of y'all already started Christmas shopping and you've been to Target and places and you have not showed your husband what you've been getting right and you're hiding those gifts and hoping that credit card thing don't roll around I mean that's like but here's the thing you, you could probably fool your husband we're not very bright but you're not going to fool God you see, some of you are like, oh, I hope they don't come looking for what I hid. I hope they don't find out my secrets. But there will ultimately be a day of judgment. There will be a light, and it will shine, and it won't miss. And so how we live is awfully, it's awfully important. So let's distinguish quickly between salvation and rewards. This is reward stuff. This is for the believer. I hope you interpret it thusly and correctly. But you would never join a company or tell a CEO of a, a growing, prosperous company that you want the job and you want the large salary and you want the pay and the perks and all the privileges, but then you tell them, you know, I'm, I'm not going to show up much and I'm almost never going to respond to the company-wide emails and I'm not going to live or die with the fourth quarter sales report, but I want the contract, I want the money, hey, you got me. You would never do that. You would never sign for a professional sports team you ain't gonna do that anyway but you just pretend you're never signed with a professional sports team and say hey I want the ring I want to be on the roster I want the fame and the acclaim and all that comes with it but I'm not gonna practice you're like Allen Iverson we're talking about practice 
In fact, you're not even coming to the games, but you want the ring and the roster. You want that, but you wouldn't do that. And here's the thing. You wouldn't be with the company and you wouldn't be on the team. If you don't desire for God to work in your life, you're probably not on the team. And so remember, there's a, a command to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. So I just want to put that out there for you today because there's a cool thing in this passage we'll get to at the end, verse 14 and 15. But it's kind of like, hey, you know, you've been making a lot of mistakes, but you, you barely escaped the flames. And so that's in there and that's a cool thing. But I want, to, I want to challenge you today to think about that, to think about your desires because just that, like that would not be true. That would not be allowed to play out, both of those scenarios. So it is in the kingdom of God. Don't live your life thinking about the minimal entry requirements. Think about devotion to him. All right, so those are our, we, we clarified a little bit about fire and uh, the day. And what does it say? Do anybody remember that we put on, or you look, if you have your Bible open, uh, the ESV Bible's in front of you, study Bible. It's my favorite, but it says the day will, dis, the day will what? The day will discern or it will detect. It will disclose. The day will disclose. Is that it? Yeah, it took me three words. Strong alliteration though. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, I didn't say donuts or something stupid, but I was, I was really close and I appreciate y'all staying with me for that. Uh, the day will disclose. So that's the day. Are we looking forward to the day? Now there are two, um, there's six materials that Paul uses, going back to the text, six materials that Paul uses in two groupings. And so let's put them up. He says that there's gold, silver, and precious stones. And the contrast is wood, hay, and straw. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. What's the difference? What's he saying? Think this, when you think gold, silver, and precious stones, I want, to th- I want you to think about this fresh to your life and in the world that we're living. Think about, think about your inner life. Don't think about your outer life. When you think of wood, hay, and stubble, think about the outer life. Think about you know, the resumes and GPAs and body shape and hairstyle and social reputation and all the things that we put so much energy and effort into. That's wood, that's wood hay, and straw. But gold and silver and precious metals is the stuff that lasts. Think inner qualities. Think, let's go biblical. Let's go Paul. Think fruit of the spirit. Think love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Think about those being manifest in your life. Think about the things that are matter, the things that the person you're becoming and the things that you will take with you in eternity. God's greatest desire for you is the person that you're becoming. And that's the greatest thing about you. And you know what? That's the, that would be the coolest thing about you. I've never known anybody that's found ultimate happiness in GPAs, resumes, outward appearance, body shape, hairstyle, social reputation, anything like that. It's flammable, flimsy, and cheap. But am I building my life with what matters? That's priceless, that's perpetual, that really, really matters. So think fruit of the spirit. Think inner versus outer. Think of uh, David Brooks as a writer, uh, Road to Character. And David Brooks talks about, I love this. I, I, I bet in a room this size and people watching at home, uh, wherever the cameras are, I bet you've heard of this, The Road to Character. David Brooks is really one of my favorites. And he talks about uh, two different kinds of virtues. Okay, remember we're contrasting gold, silver, precious stones and with uh, wood, hay, and straw. And he talks about what he calls eulogy virtues versus resume virtues. And this, this is not difficult here, but it sure is um, profound. 
But eulogy virtues are, it's what they're going to say about you at your funeral. But we spend most of our time working on resume virtues, how to build a successful career. And wouldn't, isn't that kind of like, does that just sit with you a little bit? Like you're, you're going to devote most of your life to what won't last. And in the end, won't matter. And look, I, y'all, y'all know I'm a pastor and I'm not getting any younger. I've been at this for a little while, but I, I do more weddings, but I do a lot of funerals. And uh, let me just say, if I'm your pastor, don't make me lie at your funeral. But you, it, you don't get a lot of, I mean, it doesn't move anybody. I mean, it, like if the guy's rich, then pro- people probably know it who came to the funeral. But with riches come a whole lot of other temptations, First Timothy 6. So they, I, I don't know if, 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 if that's your God, it's going to be hard to, you're going you're to make the preacher lie at your funeral. Thursday was a kind of a tricky day for me. One, I hope to not have anytime soon, have again anytime soon. And it was a jam-packed schedule and I was kind of reaching out for help. Susan's like, you need to get some help here. And I just ended up trying to do it all. And it was a little too much, but I left from Pearl um, in a, a, doing a radio show. I was on with Larry Nix and it's reason I'll tell you why I'm saying that in a second, but I was on the radio with, with Larry Nix. If you know Larry, it's a really cool uh, show. And, and uh, I don't know if anybody was listening, probably not since I was on the, on the air, but it was a good show. And then I had to rush to meet somebody and then change and get to a funeral. And the funeral was here at two o'clock. And I'm gonna tell you very fleshly, uh, not godly, not thought that I had that you will, you know, not be proud of. But I, I remember thinking, uh, you know, the funeral's at two. And if I'm a little bit late, and I would never be late to to your funeral, but I was thinking, you know, if I'm a little bit late, it doesn't matter that much because it's not a big funeral. It's just going to be just a few people, just a few people. And Susan's here in the Commons. She's on the hospitality team and sort of security because Susan, she can do security now. Just look at her. So she was in the Commons and then Lauren Lucky, who's off today, she was in the balcony running the sound and stuff. So we had things covered. I'm like, I'm hustling, you know, and I knew it was going to be somewhere between two and 20 people which kind of plucked my heartstrings a little bit. I mean, judge me if you want to. But here was a man who, um, and there was, there was a few people only on the front row, Lauren up there, and I sat there before, before I spoke. And a guy came, his name was Mike, and he was in his 60s, and he came and he played the guitar, he sang Amazing Grace in a song he wrote. Well, I knew that because I looked at the order of the service and uh, that we... Lauren had scribbled out. And I, I kind of, you ever look at somebody and just based on their outward appearance and maybe their age, you're like, yeah, this, this won't be good. You ever, you ever do that? Yeah, me neither. Um, but anyway, I remember thinking, yeah, my, this is probably not going to be, you know, quality. And the dude got up here, Alex, and you're, Alex is good, isn't he? And this guy gets up here and I mean, it was somewhere between like Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. And this, I mean, I was like, man, I don't want to follow. I don't, and he, when he did the, Second song, he goes, the Lord gave me this song years ago. And I'm like, you know, the Lord did give him that song. I mean, it was, it was good. But here's a man who had just a few people at his funeral. But his life, he, he lived to be 69. And his life was marked by disability, by infirmity, by obscurity. And it got me just thinking a little bit. You know, when you come from doing a radio show and you're like, oh, you know, people and attention and promotion and advertising and, you know, marketing and stuff like that. None of that inherently is bad, but it can kind of tap into your vanity or, you know, you kind of, and then to just rush from that and to get here and just to think, you know, here was a life. And it's a life that nobody in this room would sign up for. 
But there were people here, and nobody talked about his income, what he made or didn't make. You know what they talked about? What he overcame. And thereby, and the, this guy who had nothing would walk across the apartment hall and give people groceries and stuff. David Brooks, the road to character, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, eulogy virtues versus resume virtues. Think about it today. Years ago in the ministry world that I inhabited, um, there were two guys. And from the outside, they, it, it just looked the same. They were organizational leaders. They were thinkers, writers and speakers. They sold things and moved people. They spoke at the same conferences, taught on the same subjects. They ran in the same circles. And from the outside, their lives looked just alike. But one guy, when you got close to him, and when people get close to you, that's always the story, isn't it? For people get close, then they find out who you are, who you are is what the people closest to you say, really ultimately what God says. I kind of like that sentence back. But anyway, you got closer to the first guy and people found him to be humble and kind and gentle and gracious. And when he was wrong, he owned it. He was quick to say, man, I blew that. My feet are made of clay. People like his wife and children, they spoke well of him. If you're a leader in this church, if you will be one day, uh, you'll need to lead well at home. Join me in the burden and blessing of that. But the people closest to you, they tell your story. The second guy, the people, well, really couldn't really get close to him. He worried a lot. He scurried about. He had a lot of secrets. If you broke down his life, you could see that he, on one hand, he would use fear and intimidation. On the other, flattery and manipulation. Their lives looked the same. But one, I would say, was gold, silver, and precious stones. And one would hay and stubble. So the two questions I have for you, we've got a few more minutes. For the two questions I have for you, here's the first one. These are not, you know, crazy creative. Here are the questions. What will I build my life with? Here's what we need to be sure about. Let's be sure about what lasts forever. So what lasts forever? Seasons change. Cars break down. Homes dilapidate. Fabric wears out, metal rust, careers conclude, relationships dissolve, infrastructure erodes. The human body, this earthly tent that we have, though remarkably resilient, is also incredibly fragile. And all of our bodies will ultimately succumb to mortality. So what lasts? By the way, we're primarily an SEC crowd. We're in the fall. Just going to throw this out here. I don't pretend to know everything about heaven. If you find a preacher who does, run, because we don't know everything about heaven. But I kind of wonder if our teams and our tribes, uh, if we're going to have that in heaven. Like, are, are, you know, are these fans going to go over here? And these, is that going to be a part? Because it's like everything to some of us now. 
So, I mean, you're talking about, man, I graduated. Well, all right, preacher, I graduated from there. I send my kids there. My money goes there. I got season tickets. I got a condo. I'm going to grill out up there. I'm going to follow. My happiness is going to rise or fall. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight with people on social media. I'm going to gossip about the coaches. I'm going to talk about this. I mean, it is my life. Is there any chance that that might not even exist in heaven? I'm just putting it out there. Just want to ask you, send me an email if you have a thought. So what will last? I'd like to be clear. God will last. Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Our God is the everlasting God. Let me tell you what else will last. His word will last. Some of you are checking out Fonder Church. Hey, this is a great time for me to be clear. We really believe what's taught in here. And here's what it says. First Peter, he plagiarized from Isaiah. He said, the, the, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. His word will stand forever. William Tyndale believed that everybody in the whole world should be able to read the Bible in their own language. And after he was found and tried and convicted for treason and heresy for printing and distributing the Bible. He was burned at the stake in 1536. And today, this book is translated in over 3,000 languages and dialects. And the word of God will stand for no book has been is more beloved. No book has been burned and banned more than this one. I want to say, and if you're a skeptic, I'm just talking with you here, just talking, not throwing anything down your throat. But man, I would say there's something special about this book. God's word will last forever. God's word, God, God's words. Does this sound like Sunday school a little bit? God's, God, God's word, joy, Jesus, others, and you. All right, I'll stop. God, his word, and people. Let me show you a picture of someone we love. She's sitting down front. This is Emily Harden. She's sitting next to Susan. Susan might be mad because it's a funny look on her face. At 9.30, I said it wasn't the best picture of Susan. And then people like judge me. Susan's beautiful, always is. You can't get a bad picture of her. But it's just, you know, yeah, it's not a great. So don't look at Susan, look at Emily. And there's two of the boys. Here's the Harden crew. Now, Emily, uh, let's show the boys here. Next picture. Uh, there's all of the boys. And you know, preacher kids, I hope y'all pray for the preacher kids. Please pray for all the pastor's kids. But they did what pastor's kids do, Mike. They, they hit their mom up for some money. They went to the concession stand. She wasn't looking. And they got like hamburgers and Snickers and popcorn. And Asher was like, hey, uh, Mr. Robert, whatever he calls me, I don't remember. Uh, but he, he, he said, look at the M&Ms. He put M&Ms in his popcorn. And here's the thing. Emily, you know, people last forever. You know what I love? Okay, Emily was there. She brought her kids. Van was being athletic trainer for, at Jackson Velma. But she went to a school that they don't go to, but she went to a school to be with someone who she's been mentoring. And you know what I love? Let me just say it. Don't y'all love Van and Emily, by the way? Emily especially, Emily a lot more than Van. Yeah. But uh, I love people. But I love people that love people. And she was cheering on a cheerleader whose name was Emily. And she was there for her. And here's the thing, you know, when we talk about wood, hay, and stubble, let, let, me, let me poke a little bit and prod and make somebody angry. But like, you know, if you have a family, you have kids, I hope you love your kids. No one will accuse me of not loving my kids. But like, they're just kids and they're so cute now. And I see them on Instagram and we like, we like you know, we try to, we like all of them on the, on the gram and they're really cute, but they're going to be teenagers. 
And then they're going to leave you. And man, love them and discipline them and give them a core competency and stay around them. If they go all prodigal, let them come home and all that stuff. Man, love your kids. But listen, there's a bigger family than your family. And that's what I love. I'm just pointing back over here. Like they love their kids, but they love other people's kids. And that's what we're called to do. You have a family. Don't let your family be an idol. It will disappoint you. Like your, some of you, your kids are your gods and they decide everything about it. They decide if you come to church or not. They decide where you go to church. They decide how you spend. That's, that's an idol. And you will ultimately be disappointed in that. But to love people and to love to celebrate and to cheer is just such a beautiful picture. So what's eternal Sunday school class? God, his word, and people. So that's the question, what will I build my life on and then, or with? And then the second question, you see this coming, what foundation will I build my life on? So foundation, what is it? Foundation is, let's look at it this way. The foundation is what you look to to make you feel secure when the world is shaking around you. Foundation is what you look to to make you feel secure when the world around you is shaking. Earl Palmer is a architect, engineer, and writer, and he talks about the Golden Gate Bridge. And picture that in your mind. I don't have a slide, but everybody knows one of the famous structures in all the world. Boom, there it is. They're good in between services like they do things. I love it fluid, dynamic, responsive. So there's the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, we know that. Earl Palmer writes about the marvel of it all. And the marvel he points to is its foundation. And he says that when it was constructed, everything from the roadway to the railings to the cable system to the cross beams is connected to this underground just rock of Gibraltar underneath the ocean's surface and it's designed and here's what they predict they predict that an earthquake now anybody been in an earthquake she grew up in them I've been in them I've been in, in one in the bay area like they come there and the earthquakes that's designed with that in mind and it could be a just a gargantuan herculean earthquake off the charts of the on the Richter scale and despite the shaking around it, the foundation is so strong, they say and predict, that the golden gate could sway, the center of the roadway could sway 22 feet either way without it giving away. That is unbelievable. Different from some of those condos y'all got down in Panama City Beach, the Redneck Riviera down there. But uh, so that's pretty awesome. But here's what, here's what Earl Palmer says. He says this, that... Um, that the Golden Gate was so preoccupied with its foundation. And that is its secret strength. Mm. I love words. Isn't that good? The Golden Gate was so preoccupied with its foundation. That is its secret strength. So the question, what will I build my life with? Cheap, flammable, flimsy stuff? Or long-lasting, what lasts forever? And then what will I do with the foundation? Here's the thing. It's Christ as the foundation. And what I love about it, okay, we've talked about, we've tried to get some clarity on salvation and rewards. And, you know, if you, 
if you're looking, if, if you're here and your life has been marked by occasionally coming to church and occasionally like thinking about eternity and the minimal entrance requirements, I'm just, you need to ask yourself if you're, if you're on the team. And it, I would say you're not, but I'm not God. I'm not the one with high definition, high definition clarity at the end of it all. I'm not the one leading the day of judgment. That's good, isn't it? God is. So we clarified a little bit there, but this passage is kind of freeing to me because I love the language of this brilliant theologian Paul in verse 14 or 15. If your Bible's open, look down at it. But he's basically saying, you know, you can make a lot of mistakes. I'm going to paraphrase Eugene Peterson. You can make a lot of mistakes. You can get a lot of things wrong. But he's got you. You get in, but you, you barely escape. But you're in. And that exists. And I don't know, I mean, we, don't we need to preach at all? Like, I would just say, man, have some grace to yourself. You, it may be easier for you to extend grace to others, but have grace for yourself. I'm so glad because sometimes I look at my life and I am reminded that I've got some cheap, flimsy, flammable stuff. And I put way too much importance. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm getting kind of, you know, sassy up here. I, probably because I've stumbled on the same sin. But it's so good. God is so good. And I'm so grateful for his grace. And don't ever think that this is like a, you know, get it all together and you better leave here having it together. And it's not, I mean, it's, come on, we're, we're, there's a lot that's hard. We're all growing. We're children. Jesus would say, you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom. So what foundation will my life be built on? Alex and the team are going to begin to uh, come up. 9.30, I called them up too early. I had like half the sermon still left and made them stand there. It's kind of funny for them, for me, not for them. Um, we'll sing in just a moment and pray. And I'm going to call you to pray today. I'm going to call you to pray down front. I'm going to call you to the altar if the Lord's leading you to be prayed for. But as you think about your life and what you're building with the actual materials, as you think about the foundation, which is everything... I want to close with this uh, true story that's filled with some fiction and people fight about it on the internet, what's true. So go look it up. It's pretty cool. Winchester Rifles. When Mr. Winchester died, he had a vast, vast fortune. I mean, big money. And he left behind his widow, Sarah. And then Sarah lost their one and only son not long thereafter. She was deeply grieving. And she turned, she became spiritual, people would say. But she started, um, she started her foray into the occult. And when this was happening in her deep grief and her spiritual searching, she began construction on what is known as a hardcore fact, one of the most grand and magnificent and expansive private estates in the history of the world. And she had, this is where, legend may inflame it a little bit but there were like 16 full-time contractors with all the subcontractors and they worked for 38 years on and off mostly on it was hit by it was ravaged in the 30 years by fire and earthquakes and part of it would fall and stuff like that but as 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 they built it all these years there were secret passageways there were more windows than is on the empire state building the doors and windows there were secret passageways and hidden corridors 
and pockets of just oddness. Like there were stairs that went to the ceiling, but no further. There were windows that opened to brick walls and nothing on the other side. And the, the people closest to her say that Mrs. Winchester, with all her fame, I'm sorry, with all her, her fortune and with her great grief and her dabbling in spirituality, she was trying to confuse death. She thought she believed this. What do you believe? She believed that if they, as long as they were constructing the house, that death would not visit her. And if death came, she wanted death to be confused and not be able to find her. And after 38 years of trucks, big trucks coming, one day death came. And another writer said this one time, death has a great sense of direction. There will be a day, and honestly for all of us, it ain't that far away. What kind of house are you building? Everybody is building a house. Would you stand and let me pray for you and invite you to pray in the time that we have. Father, we want to sing to you and we want to give and we want to pray. We want this time to be a time where you are honored. God, it's got to be a burden for us to, to pause and to think about what we're adding to our lives, what our very foundation is. I thank you that Paul would call himself a master builder, maybe a little bit of bravado, but he said it right after he talked about your grace and it's only your grace. So God, would you work in us? Would you work in our church? Lord, I get the sense in a very spiritual way that you're only beginning a work here. And that there's a deeper work that you want to do in us. Where there's less pretending, less commitment to resume virtues. And more to eternity. More to people. More to your word. More to you in worship. And so work in our midst, God. Work in our groups. Work in our service. Work in our families. Work in this place. This is our prayer in Jesus. Amen. One, one quick word. Sorry, y'all. One quick word. I want to get this right because this is a really important part of teaching the Bible here. 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, it's not about you going and like living your life as an individual. Now build your house. Make your choices. I've said that. I'm not contradicting that. But here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 3. If you take it in context, it's about the temple. And it's about God wanting to build his church. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because it sounds like, you know, it's the last part. The preacher's talking about the church. He wants to, you know, build, he wants to, you know, get on to us and blah, 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 you know. But here's the thing. This, here's what this is about. This is about God saying, if you've ever watched House Hunters International, House Hunters International, I'll be fast. Like there's this couple and they live in Abilene and they want to relocate and they're going to go to Switzerland. And she's a teacher and he's like a bus driver, but they're going to look for a house in Switzerland for a million dollars, which I'm doing this thing all wrong. I don't know how this happens on TV, but like they, they search for this house and it's like God is doing House Hunters International and God in the person of Jesus saying, I'm looking all around and I'm going to relocate and I'm going to relocate in Jesus. And then I'm going to relocate when he leaves, I'm going to relocate in his spirit, in his people. The house that God has searched for and found is you and it's me. And that's what this passage preaches and that we're the temple. And so here's what I'm going to say. Are you building the temple? Some people, there's a whole new generation. I get it. 
And it's like they're involved in the invisible church. And in the invisible church, you don't have to go to a visible place. You don't have to be accountable to visible leaders. You don't have to be, you know, have your life. You don't have to give systematically to a visible church. And like we want that, but that's not what God wants. That's tearing down what he wants to build. He wants to build his temple in you and me. And this is, this is one of them, but he wants to build this. So I'm, I'm just saying, will you help us build? Will you help us build? Come back, be involved build up. Don't tear down. The altar's open. Would you come and pray or let us? We'll be down front. We'd love to pray for you. And um, if anybody wants to pray for me, I would appreciate it.